The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right, and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call, or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. I'm always lower in the mix than Toby. <laughs> This is Gone By Lunchtime. It is Tuesday, November the 3rd. It is 17 days since the election. We have a new government, we have a new cabinet, we have a new cooperation agreement, but some things stay the same. Gone By Lunchtime is here. I'm Toby Manhoe. That's Ben Thomas. That is Annabelle Lee Bather. And over there, Tina Tiller. Hey, Tina. Hey, Bells. Hey, Ben. (coughs) What's happening? Don't know. Has there been something happen? I feel as refreshed as the new cabinet. It's uh, very. Three, how long has it been since the election? Like th- three weeks. I just said that literally in my in my intro. I said oh, seventeen days since the election. Well, I'm. I that's not three weeks. That that's two weeks, two, yeah. two weeks. You're in probably three working days. on an extended metaphor. Mm. We uh, will talk today about the new cabinet. We'll talk about that Green Labour deal, and we might even talk a little bit about the referendums. Annabelle Mather insists that she accurately predicted using the pie calculus, mm. uh, the composition of the new parliament. Mm. I Sounds feel right. like a matakite. Sounds right. I've tapped into like a higher source yes. through the pies yes. and I'm basically a fully-fledged matakite. Um, I might make it my side hustle. Can I just, before we get into it, <laughs> a few notices, a few public notices. Thank you to Flack Electric for keeping the power on. Thank you to members for allowing our little website to continue. Hey, this this podcast, by the way, in those crazy days around the election, got up to at one point second, just on the on the coattails of Joe Rogan, your mentor, Ben. <laughs> Look, if, if, if during our discussion of the cannabis referendum, one of us just lights a gigantic sort of six-inch diameter blunt, mm. then we can overtake it. Annabelle, you'll just have to talk about MMA a little. We're basically bigger than True Bliss. Yes. Um, whatever happened to True Bliss? Don't know, but they got eclipsed by us, I guess. The other thanks I was going to do was Tina, the other... Actually, no, thank- sorry, <laughs> just, just as a... <coughs> sorry. I spent the election night at the ACT party at headquarters, which is that awful meat market... Um, Leo, Malloy, Leo Malloy bar. Down, yeah, the one, no Jacinda's allowed. Yes. Um, and the only other previous time I've been there, when I went into the bathroom, 
there was a poster on the back of the toilet stall door advertising a True Bliss show there the next week. So that is that is what happened to True Bliss. They are playing house shows at Headquarters Bar and Jacinda Ardern may not attend. Wow. Maybe we could host a live pod there. Could we arrive by could boat we, could, like David yes. Seymour did? <laughs> like, <laughs> like Miami Vice? Mm. Man, it's the glamour. The glamour. You were at the glamour event, Ben Thomas. I was. Um, yeah, I, I saw Seymour sweep in like, like you know, like Robin of Sherwood, you know, kind of coming back to the shores of mm. England through mm. the mist mm. with a plastic cup full of champagne in his hand. Where were you, Annabelle? <laughs> I was at TV3. You were at TV3 working? Working, yeah. Preparing Getting our show for ready for the next day. I went along to the Labour event at the Town Hall and it was uh, one of quite interesting. Calvin Davis did that poem for several hours. <laughs> <laughs> and um, otherwise, there were just a lot of MPs and party members standing around, kind of like they, they were, it looked like they were they were all gurning hard um, after necking a lot of pills. But they were trying to hold it together for their parents. You know, it was a little bit of that kind of, <coughs> you know, we need to. This is an, this is a time of this is an unstable time. We must not be too happy. But they were so happy. They were so happy they could barely keep in their trousers. Cute. Um, the cabinet was announced yesterday by Jacinda Ardern at a press conference at 1pm. It had, had more surprises in it, I think, than a lot of us were expecting. I wrote a piece that morning with a few suggestions of what it might look like, and almost all of them were wrong. Should have used the pyometer. <laughs> Jacinda Ardern did remain prime minister. I got that one right. Um, but... Even before that, we had, maybe this is the best place to start, we had earlier that morning after caucus, Kelvin Davis front the media and announced that he had declined for the second time the offer of becoming Deputy Prime Minister, and he didn't want to do that. Uh, it's interesting, Annabelle. It, we can, I suppose, only accept him at his word that it was his, his decision not to take on that role, and... Clearly, he does not relish those beehive theatre post-cab scenarios where he's being asked questions about things that are way outside his portfolio. He's not necessarily someone who is, and in a weird way I kind of respect this, who is who is happy and at home doing those platitudinous answers <laughs> to questions mm-hmm. where you can kind of apply any generic political speak to something that you really aren't, haven't been briefed on. What do you, what do you make of it all? I have really mixed feelings about it. On one hand, I'm I'm really disappointed because I think, you know, in the year 2020, Labour should have by now had an elected Māori Prime Minister mm. or Deputy Prime Minister. And, uh, and although we know that essentially Grant Robertson has acted as Deputy PM over the last three years, symbolism is important and it would have meant something to Māori. Mm. Um, I take him at his word that he didn't want it and I think what it shows is that Calvin is acutely aware of of um, perhaps his weaknesses. But what I would say about that is that um, there's two parts to being a politician, particularly to being a minister. One mm. is being able to be charismatic and articulate and communicate well and charm the media and 
look great. And the other side of it is doing the actual mahi. And Calvin is fantastic at doing the mahi. And what I would say about Calvin too is that he's actually a great communicator. If you go, if you've ever listened to him deliver a speech on a marae, he can um, deliver the most moving, um, cordial, inspiring, all of those things. But I think what's happened is in the New Zealand media, there's become this sort of gotcha mentality towards making Calvin look stupid. Um, it seems like it's become a bit of a sport. It's a bit cool if you can make Calvin look like wanting and like a bit of a dick. And I think it's almost become this self-perpetuating thing where the more aware of it he becomes, the poorer his performance is in dealing with some of those interviews. So I think that those interviews aren't a reflection on, on how well he does as a minister and um, I think you've seen, we've seen the results already in corrections and the numbers coming down um, during the, um, the COVID response committee. Um, the, many of the people who um, came to talk about tourism talked about what a, what a great minister um, Calvin was. So, you know, I, I think good on him for making that decision. A lot of Māori will be disappointed, but... Um, but he's still, I believe him when he says that he wants to focus on the mahi and that's where he'll make the real difference for our people. And we'll come oh, back to some important symbolic things soon because Nanaima Huta is an, a, another big symbolic one. We'll come back to that in a sec. But Ben, uh, he picks up as well Minister for Children. Mm. He's got, as Annabelle says, quite a, a, a serious policy brain on him. What do you make of it all? I also believe that he volunteered to step down and, and not be the Deputy Prime Minister. I don't believe for a second <laughs> Jacinda Ardern's very long speech at the beginning of her Cabinet announcement about how hard she tried to dissuade him from that. Mm. Um, I think that probably less would be more in terms of sort of creating that narrative for the Prime Minister. Uh, I think she over-embellished that a little bit. Um, Annabelle's totally right. Kelvin Davis is very aware of his strengths and his weaknesses. And one of his weaknesses, unfortunately, is... Um, fronting oppositional media and, do it, and doing that sort of house business. Uh, he, is, he has been a good minister over the past three years. Uh, he's very committed. He's a very genuine guy. Um, the first thing I heard, you know, I, I sort of thought it was, it makes sense that he's decided to sort of concentrate on his portfolios. And in mm. particular, as deputy leader of Labour, he'll still have quite an important pastoral role for that huge caucus they've got. Mm. Mm you know, more than half of whom aren't in the cabinet or the executive. Yep. And Kelvin is really well regarded, respected, and actually a little bit feared um, by by his colleagues. Um, you he know, I think can bring the grumpy school principal It's, it's that energy. school principal thing, yeah. yeah. Like, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've heard stories of sort of MPs, you know, going in sort of ashen-faced and not being able to look at him and, you know, when they're asked to explain themselves. Mm. So he'll actually be really good in that mm. role. Um I but think Labour is lucky he's such a gracious guy. Oh, yeah. It, look, absolutely. He's, he's, he's a huge asset to them. There's a mm. strong, there is a strong argument that Kelvin Davis won the 2017 election for them mm. by leading that Māori caucus um, that ended up in the Māori party being uh, expelled from Parliament. So, you know, look, Kelvin Davis has been a huge asset to them. But then when I heard that he um, had been appointed uh, Minister for Children, which gives him 
charge of Oranga Tamariki, I thought, shit, did he stand on Neve's foot or something? Like, <laughs> did he, what did he do to Jacinda to get there? Because the thing is, this is an area he obviously cares a huge deal about. Mm. I think he will be very good, particularly at helping uh, Oranga Tamariki foster those iwi relationships that they're mm. making a little bit of progress on, but they really need to, to step up around the country. <coughs> but this is one of the portfolios where, you know, it's a red flashing danger zone. Mm. You're not going to get any easy rides in media uh, in terms of, you know, people like Melanie Reed at Newsroom or just going across the spectrum. And that could be a real problem. No, but you see, that's the kind of thing you would say if you were advising somebody who was strategizing for their path to a senior position. Whereas the whole point is he doesn't. He's 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 made it clear that he's he's doesn't want to be the prime minister. He and so taking on the hard job that is a really important mm. job mm, that agree. is incredibly important for Māori in New Zealand. It's like that's that makes sense, doesn't it? From I agree with you both. It's one of those. Um, um, portfolios that is a hiding to nothing, but I think he will be an enormous asset there, and um, and I appreciate that he's brave enough to to take it on and do the mahi that needs to be done to start turning those um those numbers around. And I think his, I mean, when you think about it, he is a great fit. You know, he comes from that Maori education background, mm, working yeah. with tamariki. He's always mm. taken a really strong stand against violence. Uh, family violence, all of those sorts of things. He has great iwi networks. He's respected by by iwi. So in terms of, um, um, you know, power sharing and getting iwi on board, um, well, iwi are already crying out to take care of their kids. So I think helping that transition to happen, he'll be excellent. And he has associate education as well. And by being number three in cabinet and having... The, the role of children, you know, as well as corrections already holds, it does sort of put it as a suggest its priority. Um, Grant Robertson, to the surprise of nobody, is the person who steps in to the Deputy Prime Minister role. Uh, and he also picks up infrastructure, which is very much a signal that they want to get some stuff done in that department, right? Like, it, it is... I, it feels to, I mean, it, um, it, you know, basically they've appointed him the postman. Mm. He has to deliver. <clears throat> He's the deliver deliver guy. Uh, this They know that the year of delivery we would have been talking about as that, that the sort of misplaced <laughs> confidence in that middle year of the first term. We would have been talking about that all campaign had it not been for the pandemic. Yeah. And they know that they've got to get stuff done in They've got to make housing stuff. and transport. They've the got to stuff needs make to be stuff. Made real stuff. People use they've the got to stuff start voting on stuff and announcing stuff. stuff. Yeah, and they need stuff to exist yeah, in the real world. Yeah. That's free advice. Um, the infrastructure portfolio is an interesting one. I think it only started in about two thousand and eleven. Um, when John Key was trying to make a point about how much his government cared about infrastructure. Mm. And at that point, it was given to the finance minister, Bill English. Mm. And I think the only times it's ever been... um, ever been separated from finance was actually... uh, Shane Jones. Shane Jones. So, I mean, I I feel like it's It's one of those that should should just be sort of rolled back into finance. It sort of transcends a bunch of other things, but it's symbolic. It's kind of... But but again, it's one of those ones that it, it, it... Demands an accountability in a way, right? Like it says that 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 Grant Robertson has to take personal accountability as a result of giving himself infrastructure, finance, 
Deputy Prime Minister, and in interviews today and yesterday, he himself used the word deliver. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, um, so 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 it's on him. You know, and yes. and he yep. he is the bulldozer now. What else is interesting to us? We talked about Nanaia Mahuta, which was one that not many picked, and it's a pretty powerful signal to put out in the world that we have Wahine Māori as our Minister of Foreign Affairs, Annabelle. A lot of enthusiasm about the appointment, I think. Yeah, a lot of enthusiasm, and then surprisingly, some surprise. Um, Surprisingly, some surprise. Yeah, I've seen people on Twitter like, why is Nanaia Minister of Foreign Affairs and Trade? It's like... Um, a couple of reasons. Firstly, she's one of their most experienced um, ministers and MPs and has spent nearly <coughs> a quarter of a century yes. in Parliament now. Yes. <coughs> Secondly, um, her family has intergenerational experience of um, negotiating and hosting and communicating with foreign dignitaries, going right back to Pōtātou Te Whero Whero. Um, her father negotiated the first massive treaty settlement. Mm. So <clears throat> she comes from a whānau where um, holding and pushing very specific political agendas and um, negotiating them, you know, diplomatically and all of that stuff is second nature. So I, I'm... She I'm, was actually a negotiator on the Maniapoto settlement before uh, Labour came into government in 2017. So she's been in that space pretty recently as well. That's right. She's used to all this high-level stuff. So the fact that some people are surprised surprises me because she seems like the perfect fit. The thought that there is a wahine Māori wearing a mokokauai that will be representing New Zealand on the, the international stage fills me with immense joy and I think she'll do a fantastic job. But what I do think is interesting is for her to have Ministry of Foreign Affairs and local government seems like an odd fit. I know local government is something that she's had for a long time. The local's but, global. But, but local government is one of those portfolios we actually do have to be around the country all the time, you know, in little here, meeting with those councils, sorting through those issues. And, of course, we know, I realise we're in the middle of COVID, but foreign affairs is something that takes you away from the country a lot. Mm. So to me, that seems a strange mix of portfolios. And I just wonder, you know, why someone like Willow Jean Prime, who has a local government background, I mm. think the youngest ever elected um, councillor in Northland or the far north, um, wasn't given um, wasn't given um, local government. So it'd be interesting to see how they balance out those two, how she balances out those two portfolios. The reason I was surprised uh, that Nanaia Mahuta was uh, made foreign affairs minister is actually just because the job is usually a bit of a, a reward. You know, it's it's usually because it's such a plum appointment because it usually involves going overseas, being escorted in motorcades, having, you know, outriders to your limos. And so it's seen as a kind of payoff either mm. to get somebody into a coalition, as per Winston Peters and his two stints as foreign minister, or to, to pay off somebody like Murray McCulley, who's been, you know, a sort of senior kind of backroom leader uh, for many years. 
And for that was the reason that a lot of people thought that it would be Andrew Little as kind of payoff for that smooth transition from his leadership to Ardern's or to David Parker, who's you know, <coughs> been around for a million years and had sort of 35 portfolios in the first first term of the government. Um, but yeah, look, Nanaya's extremely experienced. She's been around a long time. I'm sure she'll do a great job. Um the local government thing, I think the main impetus with keeping her there is the Three Waters reform, which she's been um, she's been very close in sort of driving along with um, David Parker. And that's that's actually a huge issue. You know, when you look at the sort of the, the, the decay of pipes in Wellington, shit spilling onto mm-hmm. the streets. In terms of infrastructure, you know, Grant Robertson, you know, he's the he's the postman, he's doing the delivery, but he wants to be cutting ribbons on shiny new motorways, on bike lanes, on renewable seaweed processing plants that make biofuels or whatever. He doesn't want to have to deal with all of the decaying, rusty, shitty pipes that are actually the biggest infrastructure cost that New Zealand faces over the next 50 years. Um, and unfortunately, that's left <laughs> Nanaya to uh, figuratively clean up. Let's Let's give it to Grant. We'll get Grant to do it. <laughs> hey team, sorry to interrupt. It's producer T here, just wanting to tell you about the spin-off members. A new, well, not really new, but an initiative to help us fund all the journalism that you want to know. You can email us, tell us what you want to see, anything you want. Visit thespinoff.co.nz forward slash members. And while you're here, just just listen to one of our other podcasts. Do it. I'm telling you. It's a great time. Okay, bye. One of the one of the interesting things about the cabinet and the way it's laid out, Ardern trailed it as being designed to deal with COVID. We had the COVID election and we've got the COVID cabinet, but also the economic recovery that is entailed. And in doing so, she's appointed Chris Hipkins as the Minister for the COVID-19 response, which is an interesting new role. There was a lot of conjecture about whether he would keep health or keep education. Instead, he's kind of kept sort of half of health in a way, uh, in that the MIQ portfolio that Megan Woods had is gone, and that presumably now falls to Hipkins. He has a role overseeing all the, you know, the, 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 the bits of the all-of-government response that remain. Um, so he's still got a massive portfolio. I think it's interesting with Megan Woods that I, I mean, I had, you know, $5 on her becoming the Minister of Health. Uh, and I was, as in almost everything, dead wrong about that. But I think it's interesting that she's number four. And she has, of course, housing, which, again, is a bit like, you know, the broader issue of delivery, which is something that we didn't talk about because we were too busy talking about something that was so in our faces. And again, this term, really, Labour has to make progress on housing, you know, otherwise, otherwise they're finished. Otherwise, right? all of those first home buyers will be like <laughs> buying up all the houses and yes. <laughs> leaving the country in crisis. Um, Selfish. No, bastards. but like, but they do, you know, and I sort of, I sort of, I While thought all I the baby boomers are just that. trying to provide more rentals. <laughs> yeah, more <laughs> expensive rentals, which is what we want. Um, so yeah, I mean, house prices obviously are in a death spiral upwards right now as a result of the leaks in the LRV, LVRs. Yeah, and. Um, and, and the the sort of very very low interest rates um, that are that were meant to stimulate the country by uh, getting banks to 
lend more to businesses to invest at these low interest rates to mm. grow their grow their production, and instead has just gone entirely to baby boomers to uh, borrow more to buy more second and third and fourth houses. So Andrew Little gets health. Uh, instead. Now, that is, was a surprise. Uh, well, I mean, he's one of that small group of ministers that you feel as though uh, the Prime Minister is confident chucking anything at and that he will. He's a details guy. He's uh, works sort of 20, oh, he, 20 he, to 30 hours a day. You know, he's very on top of it. I mean... He had a very good first term. Um, it, just, it just seemed like it was just, yeah, just, he just wasn't sort of one of those guys whose name was in the mix for it. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, not not much of a background in that. There's a lot of portfolios. For instance, he uh, picked up some of Ian Lee's Galloway's uh, portfolios after Galloway's mm. resignation, mm. Um, workplace relations, um, you know, which is obviously a great fit for Andrew Little, former union boss, former yep. union, union lawyer. Um, he's somebody who could have contributed a lot on ACC as well. I, th- I just, yeah, I... I I'm not quite sure what the PM's thinking there was, except that, you know, somebody somebody competent needed to have the portfolio. <laughs> Competency <laughs> and experience, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, in the way that Annette King took health with that kind of experienced head and yeah. you know, oversaw it. It was interesting, though, because we saw from uh, Penny Henare probably the only overt lobbying I think I've ever seen from an MP to have a specific portfolio when he was getting on the social media and talking about how he'd love to pick up the challenge of of, of leading health, um, which is very unusual uh, for an MP. You don't, you don't normally ever lobby in public for a portfolio. I mean, lobbying in public might slightly be overstating it, do you think? No, I, d- I don't think so. The, the idea is that you, you don't... You, you might occasionally say, if I was given this portfolio again mm. or if... But you, you wouldn't normally speculate on the PM's decisions. It's not. It's it's very. This isn't. Despite what people sort of said, it's not a consultative process, um, with the exception of maybe Kelvin and that real inner circle. Generally, the PM will just decide and will sort of give it to you on a take or leave basis. And if you leave it, you're not a minister. Penny instead gets defence though, which, uh, despite what you say, uh, Jacinda Ardern said that he asked for defence. So he. Uh, and partly be- part because I think his grandfather was the was was the Sir James Henry. The, the in the Māori Battalion. Mm. I, I remember being up at Waitangi a few couple of years ago when Penny Henry was there opening the new, uh, blessing the site for the new museum there. Mm. So obviously it's something that is is of um, some importance to him. It's an interesting another mm. one that no one was really picking Penny Henry for defence. Um, I think he'll be a good Minister of Defence, yeah, like like you say, he has a whakapapa connection to it through his grandfather, Māori, uh, you know, there's a huge number of Māori in the Defence Forces and a lot of their mahi is around, you know, providing uh, infrastructure in the Pacific Islands and support during emergencies and all of that stuff, so it, he seems like a, a very natural fit and I'm sure that, you know, um, Ron Mark would be pleased to see someone like Penny in that role. I don't want to have to. I don't want to bore people by going through every single cabinet appointment. Um, I do want to note Ayesha Varel because, as you were um, suggesting earlier, and in, in before we started recording, Annabelle, that's entirely the work of Ben Thomas. Yeah, Ben did that. Ben did that. Can you remind? Can you remind us? Because Ben, I think maybe three podcasts. Ben talked about like this driving. This is going back, going back a while. Yeah, as well, yeah, going back a while, driving to her house like yep. 
blindfolding her, throwing yes. her in the back of a car. Yes. Like giving her some smelling salts or whatever. Yes. And then she wakes up and she's in the middle of a, is it the Labour Party conference or a selection meeting or something? And then make her Minister of Health. So Ben literally talked this into existence. And did you get any calls from the police about that, Ben? Or um, No, well, as, as I think we were also talking about before the podcast started, yesterday was another important milestone for me. It was more, more people that I knew um, were appointed cabinet ministers. <laughs> and when I texted them, congratulations, they had deleted my number. So that's... That's that, that's an important that's an important stage in any promising politician's career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is a it is a it is a big uh, and unusual, not unprecedented, but unusual to catapult someone directly from uh, just being elected to Parliament straight into Cabinet. She comes in at number 20 and she gets uh, food safety and uh, seniors, I think. But but essentially is there as the COVID guru, infectious diseases guru, public health. Smarts around the cabinet table, as far as I can tell. Yeah, which I think is really important. She actually played a really important role in terms of contestability for the advice that the Ministry of Health was giving on contract tracing mm-hmm. during that um, during that first lockdown. She wrote a very important report on that. Yeah, and so the, the government has actually already been using her as a sort of sounding board to provide you know real contestable expert advice to mm-hmm. what they've been getting from officials. Um, and I think having her around the cabinet table in that context is a really smart move. Um, you know, when you talk about other people who have been put into cabinet in their first terms. Well, actually, there, there there are a few, you know. I think um, Stephen Joyce, I think St- Steve. But but you, the ones you think of, yeah, are, are Stephen Joyce. Um, I'm trying to think who the who the others are. The there was there was one other example that um, she used, but it's it's essentially, you know, people who are sort of fixers. Who mm. are, Margaret Wilson was the other one, right? So people who come in with like this really high party status. Margaret mm. Wilson was a former Labour Party president. Stephen Joyce obviously been the campaign manager. Aisha Vera was actually there for exactly the right reasons, which is that she's a subject matter expert who can really improve the quality of decision-making and scrutiny um, around Cabinet. And she has some political experience, like not parliamentary political experience, but whereas you might think of somebody who comes from a kind of position that is working within a hospital or mm. or some bureaucracy as being completely ill-equipped for dealing with the rather base political realities, she has been on a on a district health district board, health board as an elected and, Labour Party uh, member. And even student politics, which of course is a, is a world away, but you know, like and, there and, are some... <laughs> and I think, may, I think, I saw in a tweet, did she used to work for Lila Hari in did Parliament? I, I seem to be alluded to, I don't know. But the, but I think what's what really impresses me actually about Varel is that even though, you know, she's, she's a card-carrying Labour Party member, but during that pandemic, she you could, you could rely on her to give you know totally down the line without fear or favour mm. criticism of the government and um, and and officials' response and so I, I think you know she really did prove that you know she's 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 sort of up to the task I think during that period. Other newcomers to cabinet we have Porter Williams who comes in um, with um, with police number, number 10, ten number front ten bench. right up there uh, Willie Jackson who was minister outside cabinet obviously has, has a has a great deal of political experience Jan Tanetti um, whom no one has heard no of no one has ever heard is she an uh, MP who uh, is it uh, Michael Wood 
com- with a couple of important portfolios, transport and and workplace safety. But again, one of those people you sense that the prime minister would trust uh, mm. with 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 just about anything he's got experience as well. The, the safest he, pair of hands, I think. I've known the Michael, safest. I've, I've safest. Known, I've known safer Michael, than Chippy Hipkin. That's a huge I, call. I've, I've known Michael for, on and off for about twenty years. Uh, I first met him at university and. During that time, I don't think he has ever deviated from whatever the Labour t- talking points of the day were. Really? Really? And I mean, I mean that in a good way, like just incredibly disciplined, disciplined. party man yeah. through and through. Yeah. Um, very extensive um, history with the union movement. Um, he was part of FinSec, which mm. became part of you know the first union. So he's actually you know if, if you weren't going to have little, then Wood is probably the obvious choice for workplace. And he also came in as an opposition MP in by-election, if you recall, in 2016. And he, he I That's think right. he took the oppo- I took, took took the opposition spokesperson role on transport, which is uh, which is um, interesting <laughs> in a very small way. <laughs> Kerry Allen comes in, which is cool. Um, Can I just say about oh, Jan Tanetti yes. when I look at her um, when I when I look at her p- portfolios? Yes. Um, it would be hard to be Louisa Wall right now and not be really disappointed mm. Mm. and annoyed. Mm. Um, you know, Louisa Wall has been in Parliament since 2011, remarkably within one year, 2011 or earlier, Ben? 2011. Earlier, so well, Ross, Ross Robertson, uh, when he Hang on, let's Google she, it. She's, Hold been, the in, line she's been in since the, um, since Labor's last term. So I think about 2006 or seven. Mm-hmm. Can we She's been in it? a long time. Google it. Google it. Um, no, let's she has, um, you know, passed a remarkable piece of legislation, mm-hmm. the Marriage Equality Act. So very early in her career, from the backbenches, not even like mm. like a cool like David Seymour, mm. you know, you, you're a, you know one man band styles, but mm. just being like you know the bottom end of her party, a staunch advocate, a, a opponent of synthetic highs and all of that stuff, had the tenacity to take Fairfax to court over their racist cartoons. Never had a major scandal in terms of her career. Obviously, there's been some stuff around the selections and that. Yeah. But um, so to see a couple of um, of ministries there that you would think would be a natural fit for her, Minister of Education. You know, she comes. From, she has an academic background. Minister for Women, and you know, um, even sports is a double cap. You know, um, rugby and netball. Yeah. It's a real, uh, if I was her, I'd feel like that's a real slap in the face, particularly when we've seen Twyford and Clark and Whaiteri, you know, given a second chance. I don't know, uh, you know, I've, I've heard rumours about Louisa, but I don't know specifically what the great sin is that she's committed that would see her overlooked for roles like that because clearly she's quite good at getting the mahi done. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you don't want to speculate too much, but it is it is one of the sort of great question marks of this government, mm. which is why somebody, I just looked it up, she's been in since April 2008 as a list uh, MP. Sorry. And, you know, so this is somebody with 12 years' experience, which mm. in, the, in the context of the Labour caucus is massive. Mm. That puts her right in the top rung. 
she has she's passed legislation, socially important legislation yes. that Labor now boasts about mm-hmm. and takes credit for from opposition. Um, and it just doesn't doesn't get a look in, and has never gotten a look in mm. uh, in this government. But you know, you know, who, who knows what goes on in the in the in the mind of Jacinda Ardern? I mean, when Jenny Salisa was um, throw, shown the door, she was the only person who was dropped entirely as a minister yeah. mm. in yesterday's announcement. And again, the the PM did a long dissertation about how she and Jenny Salisa had talked about it and had both decided that yeah. Jenny should. Look at it, wanted to look in another direction. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, it's one that, of those that things. That direction was out of the cabinet in door. Terms of the, in terms <laughs> yeah. of the, the kind of the public facing stuff, the superficial stuff that we talk about, Jenny Salisa just didn't really figure, right? But so the, and, and, and yet to be demoted all the way out of the ministry is, mm. quite, a, is quite a big thing. Twyford goes out of cabinet. The, the criticism and, of Salisa was that she she found it hard to make decisions. Okay. And, and okay. things like, you know, I think the vaping legislation was was one example that, you know, it was something that was probably ready to go or probably didn't need to take sort of three to four years. <coughs> Maybe they should make but a leader of the National Party Can I just say, party, too, then? in terms of Carmel Cipollone at number six, quite surprised by that, and I think that there will be um, advocates um, in the, you know, in the um, social, social welfare, welfare space that yeah. will be um, perhaps a little bit Looking disappointed more, yeah. that that she's retained mm. um, social development. Big story out today about how Māori are far less able to access the COVID um, benefit than Pākehā are. Massive mm. disparities there. And then she also picks up, you know, she's got ACC as well, which is kind of, you know, faces similar issues in terms of the whole two-tier system where people on ACC yep. get cared for and others don't. So, um, you know, I think um, there'll definitely be some concern. Although presumably from the leadership's point of view, she's 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 um, right. implementing government policy. So there's there's um, and it'll be interesting to see, and we'll get onto that a bit, whether or not there's any impact that the Greens can have on on that front. Because of course, if we remember in the 2017 coalition and supply agreement, as it was then, there was a promise to overhaul the welfare system, and then we had the expert advisory group, and then not a great deal of that got implemented. On the broad view of the cabinet, one of the things that's been talked about both here and abroad is the diversity in the cabinet. And, you know, there are various uh, kind of numbers like women, eight of the 20 in cabinet, 13 of the 28 executive, five Māori in cabinet, eight in the executive. Uh, Half of the 28 are white, Um, eight of the 28 are women of colour, four LGBT, et cetera, et cetera. What do you, is this, is that important, Annabelle? Eight are straight white men. I think is it, is it, I, I counted nine, but uh, um, no. Uh, I anyway, oh, maybe that's in cabinet. Maybe nine with James. Yeah, so we're hanging in there, Ben. We're hanging that, in there. But I mean, that uh, must be that must be a, a historic it's far low too many. for a New Zealand executive. <laughs> Off with their heads. <laughs> <laughs> I think overall it looks pretty good, right? Ben. Yeah, I think Ardern learned a lot about. Uh, under-promising and over-delivering in that first term. You know, mm. we saw a very conservative campaign where they didn't promise a lot after, you know, the debacle of Kiwi Build and, and setting these goals that they couldn't achieve. I think she did, you know, she signalled the same thing here. Yeah. She had talked mainly, you know, in quite conservative terms about this reshuffle uh, or this new cabinet, rather. 
but actually, you know, you're quite a surprise. A lot of bolters. Um, you know, I think you'd say Priyanka Radhakrishnan is a bolter. Um, you know, a number in cabinet like Potter Williams, uh, Jantanetti that people weren't really expecting. Some, you know, as we've sort of talked about, like, well, no one was expecting Jantanetti because no one's ever. We discovered that Jantanetti exists. <laughs> that, was the, morning, that was the biggest literally reveal. Literally this morning, I'm yeah. like, um, it's, it's actually interesting the, the, the on the straight white men point, which is important. Um, you have to go down to number five. But I feel confident that Chris Hipkins will be flying the flag for us. In a, in a, in a very real sense, he is the Joe Rogan of the Chris. New Zealand Parliament. Kia kaha, um, Chris. All, all you all will be a wonderful ambassador for your you. people. Yeah. Um, let's talk a bit about that Green Agreement. Which can, we was, just, can we just talk about Phil Twyford first? Oh. Must we? He's he's the Minister for Disarmament and Arms <laughs> Control, which I think means that in about two years, I will have had my leg blown off by a landmine. <laughs> Annabelle will be caught in crossfire at the point shiv shops. <laughs> Toby Toby will be injured in an ammunition explosive <laughs> explosion at his house. That's so dope. That. <coughs> Can we talk about the Green Labour deal a bit? Um, that was <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was it, it was sort of a very hot thing over the weekend. You know, there was the the Zoom calls and then Labour sort of slightly gazumping the that by going, "I'm going to announce it at four thirty, forcing the issue through." A lot of the um, left edge of the Green Party very angry about the deal wanting to sit on the opposition benches, could, in the end, what did they get? In terms of ministerial portfolios, James Shaw retains climate change, um, which is which is not, not, not a great surprise. Marama Davidson gets a ministerial warrant, remembering that she did not in the last term, in part because it was to create a kind of conduit to the, the membership at large. She gets an Associate Minister of Housing with a focus on homelessness and a, um, a special role Minister for Prevention of Family and Sexual Violence. Uh, could, and there are a few other bits and bobs, but basically the, the, the quid pro quo for that is not to, uh, not to vote the government down, not to vote against the government on confidence and supply, which is a small difference, but, a, but, a, but, in a, but arguably an important one with last time round where they promised in their agreement that they would support the government on confidence and supply, and the difference being slightly a numbers in the House thing, which basically means that now, even if National Enact decide, even 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 if, if the Greens decided to go with National Enact, they couldn't bring the government down because they've got to abstain on that. Do you think that, do you think that the Greens could have hoped for more, Annabelle, like in this debate about whether or not they should have got into bed with them. I think this will go down in history as the most ungenerous, ungenerous. deal mm. of all time. Even John Key, who didn't really need the Māori Party, gave them much better deals in that mm. they got actual ministries that had actual money attached to them, a la Whānau Order and the Ministry of Māori Development. Um, I think it... it um, it's concerning because if Labour wants a third term, um, they're, they're going to need the Greens. There's no New Zealand First to fall back on anymore. So they, they kind of needed to take care of them this time around, and I don't think this deal does that. While I am sure that Marama Davidson will do 
her very best and a magnificent job as the Minister for Prevention of Family and Sexual Violence, that's an incredibly hard gig. Mm. I mean, if you think Fano, if you think um, Oranga Tamariki is mm. tough, mm. this is going to be even tougher. And good on her for like stepping up to take it. But where's the money and where's the ministry to to go with such a big important? Um, issue and I just think every time someone gets murdered, beaten child abuse, whatever she's the person that's going to have to front up so it's not going to be um, a whole lot of good news stories for the Greens and likewise with with the Minister of Climate Change you know, you might as well call it the Minister for World Peace because again if you've <laughs> got if you don't have the infrastructure to go with it then what is it Yeah. what is it really it's, it's a it's a really tough gig, so I think I th- I, pu- I think they've been hard, very hard done by. I mean, there, there are you know bureaucrats that go along with this. There's a, a sexual violence, uh, family and sexual violence program in uh, the Ministry of Justice, which formerly Jan Logie, who was an undersecretary in the previous government for the Greens, um, on yeah. family and sexual violence, was sort of working with you know uh, helping Andrew Little with. Um, and obviously, Ministry for the Environment and Climate Change. So it's, it's not like they're without resources, but they're, they're, it's not a whole lot, Ben. I mean, these are really big issues. Uh, climate change is quite serious, apparently. Um, <laughs> but but you know, you need well, a lot. You need a very... lot of resource to go with that. One, I mean, one of the things well, is that I, I, they I've... ministers attend cabinet when it's one of when it's an issue that relates to their portfolio, and you mm. can make a case without even being cute that that's climate change is, is every portfolio basically mm. right like i mean yeah. you know i mean i mean i'm just going to i'm just going to sit here i'm just going to turn up every time james you're just going to sort of try and sneak into the camera right i'm here yeah i mean i think part of the reason this sort of works well for labor is that they're very simpatico on this i mean labor would not have been able to get a climate change minister as good as Shaw from within their own ranks and they're largely on the same page, and so I think they're happy for sure to drive it because they don't have, you know, a particular uh, vision beyond the zero carbon act of of how things should pan out. Say, same with uh, prevention of family and sexual violence. I don't think there'll be much of a clash between what the Greens want and what Labor wants in this respect. Um, so, in in a way, I think this is this is less Labor conceding anything to the Greens and more just them outsourcing work that they know the Greens will do well for them. Yeah, and the the the, the idea is that it leaves the freedom for the Green caucus. For Ricardo to, to run wild while and, his And it's going to be interesting to see, but, I mean, we talked and we got bored to tears by the idea of the support parties getting wins. You know, all the press, mm. press releases came in with a win for New Zealand First, win for Greens on a policy. But the Greens, to placate... The membership, I think, you know, and remembering that they needed to get 75% from the membership, and I think there were 17 against or something out of 150, so so it got through, but, you know, I mean, the deal, if it had been much worse, arguably wouldn't have, like, it was close, it was kind of, it was close. Uh, but the, the, I think I think for Manama Davidson, who hasn't had a ministry before, will be w- looking hard to get some wins like you know on the homelessness stuff um, with the, you know those those charges for for the motel accommodation or 
you know, whatever it is, it's it's the, you'd, you'd want to see something in the first year, otherwise it could start to unravel. Well, if I was them, I would have wanted, like, Ministry of Children and, mm. you know, Ministry for the Environment. Yeah, and no doubt they did. <clears throat> but they didn't have yeah. any, like, I mean, they didn't have any leverage. It's just the No, but I think it's, it's not a reflection of them. I think it's a, right. a, a reflection of right. Ardern and Labour because John Key was, you know... Was more generous than what than what they're being, and they're going to need the Greens if they want a third term. The the brutal reality, though, is that the Greens in the next term have nowhere to go. If there's still enough numbers for Labour and Greens to form a government, um, the Greens won't abstain. The Greens won't go with National. The Greens will support Labour just as they have all the way through, no matter how much they've been dumped on. I mean, no, they... but the Greens could get taken right out. You know, like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- reduce what they could suffer the you know what's that cliche we use the minor party the curse of the minor yeah. party you well know? that's but that's one what right why Chloe Swarbrick's win is such a big deal is it does assuming she does a really good job and works hard and Auckland Central rewards MPs who work hard then it means that they could they would have some insurance. Which is what would have been nice to see her maybe get a couple of undersecretary mm. roles, mm. like, you know, undersecretary for women, for conservation, for dupes. Mm. 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 For, for speaking <laughs> of, speaking of, uh, let's talk really quickly about the referendums and get the hell out of here. We have final results coming through this Friday Good on both. God, they've been going for 46 Well, I, I, I think we made a mistake by sort of, I think we made, I don't know who's running this, running this train, but I think we made a mistake by going through the cabinet <laughs> announcements. We probably one shouldn't by have one. printed off the thing. That's where <laughs> yeah. we went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Otherwise, yeah. we would never have known Jantanetti existed. Yeah, and we yeah. could have cut that whole, oh, whole segment. Just, could actually, have gone. I just made that name up and put it on that <laughs> list I printed out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is to like check copyright infringement. Like if anyone <laughs> steals it's it, a it's, a like for, it's a big trap for you know, the spread of misinformation in New Zealand. Has anyone actually <laughs> fact-checked that Jantanetti exists? I want to see if there's a photo of her online. The... Referendums. It's actually it's an actually an anagram of tricking you. The referendum the referendum results preliminary results came through last Friday, as I was saying we get the final results on Friday and the the assisted dying Bill went through as expected w- w- comfortably. Like mm. there was absolutely no ambiguity about that. The peacefully. Peacefully. Yep. Palliatively. Yeah. The referendum on the legalisation and control of cannabis did not, and it went through probably by enough that it will be safe when we see the specials on Friday. There's still a chance. I think there's still a real chance. I mean, most people have said it's no go, but basically you need slightly more than two two, two yes to one no for it to, in the special votes for it to mm. go through. But if we get more special votes than we're predicted, I think it's I think two two to one ratio is, is, is not insane because of the when you look at the number of the way it will lean young, the way it could include university Can you ask for a recount of referendums? Can I, anyone I, call I, for I a assume, recount? I assume so. That's an interesting point. I, don't, I mean, I don't know who it would be that would, maybe anyone could, maybe you I could. I will. You could. We would like a recount. We've demanded please. a recount. Gone by lunchtime demands a recount of. If it, if it does fail, it won't. It won't be because of lack of Jacinda Ardern trying. <laughs> she, well, she voted for. Well, I don't know whether that will stick, but it certainly she did all felt she can. Like it. She's it just one like woman. It. it felt like it on Friday afternoon. A lot of anger from people who have been Jacinda 
maniacs who are, you know, in this whole, another tedious cliche, but we get the whole political capital thing. Mm. Basically, the campaign that we witnessed was one where they were running around a bit like trying to extinguish any COVID as it sprung up. <laughs> Every time there was a little bit of an ember that burned that might be interesting, they would run around with a fire extinguisher and put the fucking thing out. And that was that became one of those things. And it was like, oh, I mean, I could say what I'm going I'm to vote. No, don't do that. God, <laughs> then, God forbid, we might have a debate about cannabis. <laughs> and then some of the people who are, you know, some of the middle New Zealanders who think that you're the trustworthy leader might start thinking maybe not. Maybe you're a crazy, you're a blazing, blazing Bob Marley fan. I just love how in the middle of an election campaign, a, a, a political leader would go, oh, my God, I don't want to tell you guys, like, how to vote. I don't want to influence that. That would be terrible. It's like Irish one of those monks, you know, the ones who, who brush with a broom made of sticks insects out of the way so they don't stand on them when they walk. And she's like, no, I can't, I can't influence public opinion. Like, I'm going to spend the rest of the campaign in a perspex box. Like, um. Yeah, and and then Andrew Little very quickly came out and said that they wouldn't be doing anything substantial on on drug law reform either. And I mean, you know, partly that's the way convention demands that you say the will of the people has been expected. Well, but the, but the thing is that what the will of the people shows is that we're exactly divided as a country over this, which means that it's not resolved. Well, I don't. So think... I think he's I think he's spoken too soon on that. I think if it was like a a sixty, a seventy, mm. an eighty percent split. Then fair enough, but I think what this shows is that the status quo yes is, is has been rejected. I mean, has been rejected. Yeah, I don't think you could say that this is an endorsement of the status quo. But at the same time, to go the, oh, the, the, there's a bit of no vote, so we're just going to do it another way would be problematic. Yeah, I mean, fifty two percent doesn't prove anything overwhelmingly, but it certainly doesn't prove that people want legalisation under the terms proposed. And, you know, it's hard to draw any other lesson from that. You know, I'd, I would have liked for the referendum to have succeeded and the bill to be passed, but you can't, you know, it lost. Do you know um, one of the things, and I and I, I think that the media... I disagree. I, I think that they just have to pony up and, and, uh, and come up with some... Um, some legislation that deals with the inequity and the, the problems mm. of the of the of the law as it stands. And it could be, it could and be it a might not be popular, be but it, but um, but frankly, you know, I think they're okay. I think they could like pass perhaps a a, a piece of legislation that's a bit unpopular with fifty two percent of of the country and the world not they're crumble going, to they're the going ground. For 70, they're going for seventy. They're going for seventy. The one thing I was just going to add to that. Is that I and I think that the media probably, including us, need to accept some responsibility for it. Is that the weird thing we've seen is that, in a way, the most uh, extended debate that I've seen about around our cannabis laws has come after the result of the cannabis referendum, yeah. and that's a so bit true. that's not really how it's meant to work, right? And I feel like, in retrospect, maybe what we should have done when we extended the never-ending campaign by four weeks is just lock off a week and say, we are not going to talk about the normal election. We're just going to talk about this referendum this week. Anything else will be verboten. You'll get tasered if you talk about mm. the general election. We're just going to talk about the cannabis. Anyway, maybe we should have done that. Next time. We'll do it next time. We'll do it next time. We'll do it next time. Uh, speaking of next time, 
We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, this is magic. Joe Rogan, watch out. We're coming for you. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Flick Electric. Thank you, members. Get some merch for Christmas from our merch store. Talo for Lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spinoff member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.